The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Morning, we are still in spring training, and I know in the baseball world that we have uh, moved into game time, but we have a, a couple of more weeks, and uh, I thought I would finish today, but I'm going to kind of split this up today and make it a two-week uh, a two-week. Uh, closing, so we'll we'll finish up this uh, series on the last uh, Sunday of this month. That's next Sunday. It's also a eating Sunday, so be thinking about what you want to bring uh, next week for our covered dish. But we have been talking about spring training and getting back to the basics, and we're kind of coming to a close on that. And uh, today we're going to talk about being aware of the curve. And uh, you know, John, uh, as he's writing this church, he's given some directions and he's given some truths and he's taught some truths uh but today he he gives a warning of something and uh you know if you watch much baseball uh the the curveball is hard to hit and uh the uh the thing about a curveball uh uh what do they call a physics they say it's impossible to throw uh that it it makes no sense how it works but uh there are some batters that are deceived by the curveball, and that's what a curveball does. It deceives you. Uh, it either looks just like a strike, and it ends up being a ball, or it looks like it's uh, waist high, and it ends up being at your knees. It's just deceiving uh, what you think you're seeing, and all of a sudden you, you don't see it uh, the way you thought it was. And the thing that coaches tell uh, players to do is to pick up the spin on the ball. So uh, if you guys that play baseball still uh, are thinking about getting on up and getting into high school and playing or even beyond that, uh, if you watch the ball that close that you can see if it's spinning sideways, it's going to be a curveball. Now this morning I want you to look at some curveballs and I want you really not to pay much attention to to the announcer or to the batter, but watch the ball. And think about having to stand and, and hit this ball as it comes in. And we're going we're gonna to look at, at you, Darvish, this morning. And he, he has a, a pretty awesome curveball. Now, he throws some fastballs here also. But uh, when you're thinking something's coming at uh, 95 miles an hour and it comes in there at about 70 and then drops, uh, you're prepared for that. And then the next one comes in at 90. It really can be confusing. Let's take a look at a few of those curveballs this morning. (laughs) 
You're already getting your knees buckled. That's something else, isn't it? <laughs> uh, if you was watching, some of those balls go out, and some of them go in, and some of them go up, and some of them dive down. And uh, then some of them go by you at 90 miles an hour. So, uh, you know, when, when a batter gets up there, they, they, do, some, uh, they do some pre-work. In other words, they, uh, they look at the pitcher they're going to face, and they figure out what kind of pitches he throws, and... They try to prepare for that. Uh, they try to be on guard for whatever pitches he throws. And uh, some pitchers have just two pitches. They have a fastball and a, a curveball, or they have a, a slider, which is kind of like a curveball. They may have some off-speed stuff. But, but usually the batter prepares for that, and that way when he gets in the batter's box and the game is going on, he kind of has an ideal uh, what to look for. One thing that makes you uh, Darvish so uh, successful is is he has a whole bunch of different pitches he throws, not just one or two or three, but he has five or six pitches as he's able to deliver. And uh, when we think about that, and you may ask what what's the context of that this morning in the message, uh, you you may have heard this statement, you may have made this statement, but sometimes people say it it makes no difference what you believe as long as you're sincere. And uh, I've heard that statement really made with Jehovah Witnesses even that, that you know, I, one thing I can say about them, they're really sincere. They're really hard workers and they really... Uh, they really get out and what they believe they're really willing to teach. And, and with that statement, sometimes I've even made that statement, uh, even about different groups that, uh, you know, they are committed people. And, and some people that have that philosophy uh, in our day, uh, there's a lot of people that think that. And, and you can hear that on the media even. That's kind of why Christianity is always in, in such a question is, is a lot of people will say, you know, as long as you, as long as you believe there's a God, it, it doesn't matter. The rest of those things really don't matter. And we talked last week a little bit about uh, the, the fact that what sep- separates Christianity from all other religions is that we believe Jesus Christ was God and that He came to earth and He died and He defeated death and He defeated sin and He rose again. So if you have that philosophy, as, as long as you're sincere, uh, that sincerity is the magical ingredient of, of, of your belief. And, and that's what makes something true if you're really sincere in it. But that's, uh, that's, that should be true in, in every area of life if it's true in religion. And, and to think about this, if we, if we say, okay, in every area of life, if I sincerely believe it, that should make it true. What if you're a skydiver and you sincerely believe all you need is a good umbrella? Does that make it true? I mean, you could sincerely believe that. You might sincerely believe that, that drinking poison is good for you. you. You might really believe that, but does that make it true? Or you might believe that, that a, a red traffic light means go. 
And you sincerely believe that, but does that make it true? So when it, when it comes to the physical world, what you believe is critical. And, and the same is true for, uh, for the spiritual world. Let me give you a couple of examples, a true examples. A lawyer was trying to demonstrate to a group of law students that the windows in a downtown skyscraper were unbreakable. You know what's coming already, don't you? He sincerely believed that he could slam his body in full force against the window on the 24th floor, and he was so sincere that he backed off, he ran, he plunged against the window 24 feet, 24 stories to his death. He sincerely believed that. 1996 recipient of the Darwin Award. He believed that he could run and he could plunge himself against the windows. And he said, I, I sincerely believe that and I'm going to prove it. And it resulted in his death. Several years ago, it's recorded that a nurse in a large hospital, uh, she exchanged an oxygen tank for one of her patients. She sincerely believed that it was oxygen. She took that tank, she checked it out, the, uh, the, put it on the, the patient, and, and the next nurse that checked that patient found that he was dead. The tank had been wrongly labeled at the warehouse, and it contained nitrogen, not oxygen. But you know, the nurse was sincere. She really believed what she was doing was the right thing to do. And just because she was so sincere, did that make it the truth? So if we have that mindset, or if we've ever heard someone who says, you know, if you sincerely believe that, as long as you sincerely believe what you believe, I think God's going to honor that. And, and that's not true in the physical world, and it's certainly not true in the spiritual world. And the same God that created this world physically, he, He's the same God that we worship spiritually. And we need to understand that it does make a difference of what we believe. So, so this morning, as John's talking about this, and he's talking about some deceivers, and that's where the curveball comes in. Because we sincerely believe something doesn't turn a lie into the truth, and because we uh, sincerely believe something, uh, that doesn't make a, a truth be a false or a, or a false being true. Something is true because it's true. And something is false because it's false. And if you think about it, in our world we live in today, they tell us and teach us there's no absolute truths. That's what you hear today, that just because something's right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. Well, when we begin to think about that, we're really being deceived. And that's what John says here in verse 18. And we're in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. And we're going to start in verse 18, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. And they have went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things, verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and that no lie, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar but he who that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father is the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. 
If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but also that same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So when we begin to read this, and we're going to look at that passage of Scripture, and that's kind of why I'm splitting this up over two weeks, because it's a lot of things there. John shares about three truths in this Scripture, and we're just going to look at the first one today. And the first thing is we're, we're being aware of something. That's what John says. We're, uh, he's saying you need to be aware of something that's coming, that's taking place today, and uh, the first thing that we need to recognize is the signs of the time. Now, this morning in verse 18 and 19, he says, Little children, this is the last hour, and that you've heard the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that they may be manifest that none of them were with us. So John first emphasizes the seriousness of times uh, with two terms, and he makes it clear that these days uh, are, are demanding discernment. It's something we need to be aware of, something we need to pay attention to. And the first is this. Now, I, I want you to, when we say the last hour, I want you in your mind just to think about what that means and think about over time, how, how many times have you heard that statement? Because John begins pointing out that this is the last hour, but in what sense is this the last hour? Because how can this be right since, since frankly, a whole lot of hours have passed since John wrote this? So he's writing to his believers, hey, we're living in the last hour, and we're reading it 2,000 years later, and we're saying, well, how in the world could this be? So, so what's John talking about? And, and what John's speaking about here is not so much in, in chronological order as much as is theology, 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 uh, y'all help me there. Theologically speaking. I should know that word, shouldn't I, as a preacher, what theology is, but, but he, he's talking about theologically. Uh, is kind of how he's talking about. So think about this. As John's talking about not so much chronologically, but, but, but theologically, he says that when Jesus Christ came, he came to earth, he, he came as a man, he walked among us, he performed miracles, he went to a cross, he was crucified on a cross, uh, he went to hell, he defeated death, he defeated Satan, he defeated sin, he was buried, he was rose again, he was raised from the dead, and we celebrated that last week. And since that time, since that, since that hour of his ascension, we have been living in the last days. We've been living in the last hours. And, and we can know this because God doesn't measure time the way we do. In Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, uh, 
Peter tells us that God doesn't measure time the way, the way we do. He, he sees an hour as a thousand years and a thousand years is just a day. And if you go on and read that scripture, he talks about uh, how he's not slow in keeping his promise, but he's patient that, that none would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, so since that very time, uh, God's, God's timetable began to move. And, and, and John is saying here, hey, we need to realize that, that we're living in the last hours. We're living in the last days today because any time Christ could return. At any moment Christ could return. And I ask you a question, I think last week or the late, late, uh, week before, do you think Christ is going to come tonight? Do you think He's going to come today? And, and if we honestly answer that question, most of us are going to say, no, I don't think it's going to happen right now. But over in Matthew, Jesus says, you need to be ready for the Son of Man will come in an hour that you not think not, an hour that you're not expecting Him. So, so what John is saying is, hey, listen, we're living in the, in the last days. Folks, I believe this. We're living in the ninth inning. We may be in overtime already. I believe when we look at the Bible, we look at the prophecies that's been fulfilled, we are we are surely living in the last days, in the last hours, in the last moments. But, but that's what John says, recognize there's signs of the times. Boy, we could spend the next month talking about signs and prophecies that's being fulfilled in Scripture that points to those last days. But, but John says this, recognize there's signs of the times. We're recognizing, remember the curveballs that, that, that the world is going to throw at us. And they may look good and they may make some sense, but, but we need to recognize that we're living in those signs of the times. The second thing he says, not only are we in the last hours and we need to recognize that because of the signs that we see, but also the presence of Antichrist. Okay, now when we talk about the word antichrist, it has two meanings. The first, if you just break that word down, it means anything that's against Christ, antichrist, anything that, that is in opposition to Christ and the, the true meaning of Christ. So when John says this, he says there's a, there's a word, and the word I'm talking about is is anything against Christ, anything that's denying Christ. Now, let me take you back to the very first of our study. Remember, we were talking about Gnostics and how Gnostics had came into the church and they had claimed that, that Jesus Christ was a great man and, and he was a great prophet, and, but that he really wasn't God's son. We hear that today all the time. And those folks can be labeled as antichrists. So, so John says, beware there's antichrist. Or it can also mean instead of Christ. In other words, it's, it means when, when someone is, comes on the scene and they, they want to take the place of Christ. So and if we go over and we read in the last part of, uh, of the Scriptures and we start reading in Thessalonians or we get over in the Revelation, it talks about there will be one who comes who will exalt himself over everything that is called God or that will be worshipped. And when we study Revelation, we talk about the Antichrist. We talk about one who's going to come and who's going to exalt himself above God. And he's going to place himself on the throne. And he's going to go into the temple. And, and he's going to want people to come and worship him. That is the ultimate Antichrist. That is, that is Satan himself. And he's going to place himself in the place of God. So when we read this, we need to understand that John's not saying the Antichrist has come. He says there's many antichrists that are coming. And in this church, and in this church that John's writing to, he's saying you need to be aware 
that there's antichrist in the form of Gnostics. There's those who's coming, and they're, they're teaching false teachings about Jesus Christ. So as he's saying, recognize there's signs of the times. We're in the last hours, and there's presence of antichrist. Throughout 2,000 years, and I've mentioned this before, there's been all kinds of different ideals about who the Antichrist is and who, who the Antichrist was going to be. And starting in 1945, there were Christians that claimed that, that Pope Pius XII was the Antichrist. There were those that said John F. Kennedy was the Antichrist, or, or this is the one, the first one I really remember was Henry Kissinger. I remember the, our folks talking and somebody saying, you know, Henry Kissinger, he could be the, the Antichrist. Then I remember Anwar Sadat, that he, was, he could be the Antichrist because he had this, remember that big birthmark he had? And you go in Revelation, it says there's going to be some kind of wound to his head and he's going to, he's going to overcome that. And, and people are saying, that's what that's talking about. And, and some said Sung Moon Young was going to be the, the Antichrist or, or Sung Mung Yoon or whatever his name was, the, the Moonies and Mikhail Gorbachev and, and there's just on and on. Some, some even come out and said that Barney, the purple dinosaur, could be. You know where they came up with that? They said if you take the, the words dancing purple dinosaur, you add up the value of the numbers, it adds up to 666. And that was a joke, of course, but, but knowing some Christians, maybe not. All John is saying is there's, there's an appearance of men and women who, who are opposing Jesus Christ. And anything they say, any coming against Christ, is the Antichrist. So, so today, I think we could safely say in the society we live in, there is the presence of many Antichrists. So John writes here, there's many antichrists, there's come, and he's not saying a, a singular figure here. He's saying there's, there's antichrists, they're in the world and they're working today and they're working against the church. And you'll remember as we begin this study that he, he's, he's writing to a community that, that has come together and in their community there's, there's uh, disunity within that church. And I'm not saying we have that in this church, I'm just saying John was writing and because of this disunity, he, he begins to write this church, and, and we discover that in the last part of, of this letter, this epistle that he's written, that he's, he's saying some members have left the church in an uproar. If we go to chapter 2, 18 and 19, he says there's, there's all of this disunity, and because of that, people have been leaving the church, and, and disgruntled former members have gone, and they've, they've begun to follow these Gnostics, and they, they claim things that are not true. And John is reminding that church that that, that shouldn't be. And in this passage we, we just read, he said things, things, if they were really part of us, they would be here, but they've, they've alienated themselves from us, and they're, 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 they're teaching things that are not true. And, and not only were they doing that, they were coming back to the church and saying, hey, you need to leave there. You need to, you need to leave that fellowship because we have a new revelation <clears throat> and because of this new revelation, we, we now understand that, that, that this church is teaching untruths, that Jesus Christ is not who He claimed to be, that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven, that, that, that Jesus Christ was just a good man. So in this church, they, they, there were questions, why did our friends leave? I mean, why did they quit coming? Why, why were these people right? Maybe there's some credit to what they're saying. Maybe, maybe there are problems here. And, 
And they begin to, they begin to say, maybe, maybe this is something we ought to leave. So when we read this and we take it into context, John is just saying, hey, we need to be aware of some things. You need to be aware that these things are taking, part, taking place within this church. Now, any local church, listen, including this one, is imperfect, right? I mean, we're made up of a bunch of different people. And I wish we could all be as I am. Amen? Debbie was the first one to shake her head no and work with her every day for 20 20 years now. (laughs) No comments from the cheap section back there either. So... You know, it, the church contains difficult people, doesn't it? The church contains irritating people, doesn't it? I mean, just be honest. We can be difficult, we can be irritating, but we're a family. And, and you, you, you can't choose the family you're, you're born into, can you? I mean, you, you can't choose that. We're, we're born into a certain family, and we need to realize that, that that's kind of true with Christians. God has called us to be a part of His family. And it doesn't matter if you're at East Delta or First Baptist or a church in Houston. It doesn't matter. We're, we're still made up of, of a group of local people that are imperfect. And when we begin to see those imperfections, God understands that. And He understands that, that people are going to get their feelings hurt and people are going to be misunderstood. And, and those kind of things just happen in a family, don't they? But when that happens, we don't need to bail out. And that's what John is trying to teach this church. Because some folks have left and because some folks are disgruntled, don't bail out. Don't, don't doubt what you know. If you go back and read that passage of Scripture again, he says, you know, you, you've, you know what the God, you know what God has said. You've known from the beginning and you know what's been taught and, and don't bail out. And, and folks, our church needs your presence. Churches need the presence of people. And I want you to think about this. If your salvation won't even get you to church, how's it going to get you to heaven? We need folks in our churches. The Bible says, how will we know and how will we understand and how will we believe if we don't hear God's Word? The Bible also says, don't, don't forsake the assembly of the brethren, but we come together and we fellowship and we grow together in Christ and we meet each other's needs. So we need your presence. We need your participation. Don't wait to be asked to volunteer If you see a need, go for it. Say, hey, there's a need in the church, and I've identified this, and I recognize this, and hey, I want to be a part of the solution. We need folks to be here. We need folks to participate, and we need folks to praise the Lord. That's God inhabits the people who praise Him. Did you hear that? God, God loves the place where the church comes together when we lift Him up, when we praise Him. So as a church, John's saying this, hey, don't abandon the church. We live in a, a group of, of imperfect people with difficulties and, and our feelings get hurt and there's some things, that there's some misunderstandings, but, but don't bail out. As I said, this, this doesn't necessarily pertain to this church, but, but things of the future and things might happen and there may be some misunderstandings. So, so don't bail out. We need your presence here and we need your participation here and God wants your praise here. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning and, and we're just going to spend a time in prayer and, and just lifting up the, the truth of God. And I'm going to close with this statement next week in Romans chapter 4. I believe it's Romans chapter 4. Uh, there's a passage that says, let God be true and every man a liar. And, and what that's talking about is, you know what, if we're ever in a place 
where the, the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, whoever is, is claiming that, that God's Word is not completely true. There's, there's a couple things the Bible says we need to do. It says we need to point the error out, that error of the ways, of the truth of God's Word. And that's what John is doing as he writes this church. He's saying there's, there's those that come into the church, recognize those things. We're living in the last hours. We're living in the last days. We can tell by signs of the time. And also, one of those signs is that in the last days, there will be many Antichrist who comes. John's saying, be, be on guard for that. When I say that, that scripture in, in Romans, I hope that you take what is said here on Sundays and you measure it against God's word. If the Holy Spirit of God finds a, a, a falseness in my teaching, I pray you'll never remember it. You'd never hear it. But it'd be, it'd be stricken away from your mind. If you find something in God's word that, that, that's not being taught, the truth of God's word, bring it to me. Bring it to the teacher and say, you know what, this is what God's word says. That's what a, that's what a family does. Don't give up. Don't quit. Come be a part. Come participate. And come and praise. Father, this morning I pray again that anything that's not true, anything that's not right, anything that's not just, Lord, it would be taken away from our minds, and Lord, we would remember it no more. But Father, those things that are true, I pray today, we wouldn't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but Lord, we would be doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we would know that which we've committed unto you against that day, that you're faithful and just, that there's a time coming that the heavens are going to fold back and you're going to come. And and Lord, at that first sound, as a thief in the night, when men and women are crying peace and safety and at an hour we think not, you'll come and you'll take your church. And then, Father, there will be another day that you'll come when every eye sees and every tongue confesses that you are Lord according to the glory of the Father. Lord, I pray that we would make the choice today to serve you. Lord, I pray that we would find joy in this place. I pray, Lord, that we would find something that's relative in this place, something that applies to our daily life that we can apply. Lord, only through your Spirit can we find those things. I pray that we'd be filled with your joy and that in you our joy would be complete. And Father, I pray now as your Holy Spirit moves that we would follow you wherever you would lead us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.